Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X-Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. Welcome to part two of the July 2nd Socks Machine podcast. In part one, we covered the first half of the 2018 season and the survey, as it was a pretty lengthy discussion. In this second half, I sit down with Will Carroll to discuss White Sox injuries and chat with Blake Rutherford from the Winston-Salem Dash, plus the minor league reports and your questions in P.O. Sox. Enjoy. Unfortunately, the Chicago White Sox are dealing with pitchers that are dealing with arm injuries, both in Chicago and down in the minor leagues. To help us make sense of what is going on as these players deal with their injuries and go through rehab is a friend of the podcast. It's the injury expert, Will Carroll. And hello, Will. Thanks for taking the time to come back on our show again. Hey, no problem. Uh, Always happy to come on, but it usually means bad news for you. Yes, it does. (laughs) Yes, it does. And starting with the most recent injury news with one of the White Sox top prospects, Dane Dunning, he's been diagnosed with an elbow sprain, which doesn't sound good. But the White Sox are hopeful, Will, that this is just a six to eight week injury window. Will, what does a pitcher go through while rehabbing from an elbow sprain? And once you sprained your elbow, could this lead to future issues down the road? Usually not. Let's take these one by one. Uh, First, what happens in rehab? I I hate to say it depends, but it really depends. What we know is because it's a sprain, it's damage to the ulnar collateral ligament, the so-called Tommy John ligament. And a sprain is a tear. But uh, because they're calling it a minor sprain, we know it's a grade one, very small. Normally, we see these as 10% or less. That's not good but it could certainly be a lot worse. If you get up to 25, anything more than uh, 33%, uh, that's where you start talking about Tommy John surgery. So at this level, what they're hoping for is that it heals up. And people think that uh, ligaments don't heal. That's incorrect. Just like anything else, they'll scar over and they'll heal up given the right situation. So you shut it down, you give the body everything it possibly can in order to heal, rest, therapy, in some cases, injections. We've heard things like PRP. Some teams like the Angels have gotten very aggressive using uh, aspirated stem cells. 
So uh, that's certainly a possibility here, though there hasn't been any mention of that with the White Sox. White Sox have been a little bit closed off about what they do, though they're, they're certainly their medical staff, uh, if not the best, one of the best. Uh, Herm Schneider has been there forever and a day uh, and continues to put up the, the injury numbers that show just how good and valuable he is. And the team doctors, uh, really, really good guys uh, with great results as well. So they're in good hands. This is a minor sprain. They caught it early. Uh, so six to eight weeks. That's the interesting thing here because that's pretty much the end of the minor league season. So if there's a week left, do you bring him back? I think the answer is yes, because you want to give him the confidence to go into his offseason routine that he's healthy, that he can do it, that it is a normal offseason. Because Dunning's a guy who uh, could very quickly move up and uh, solidify the back end of that rotation in Chicago. Now, you mentioned PRP. I've only heard PRP when the conversation has been about Shohei Otani. And, Will, I'm sorry, I don't know anything about PRP. What is PRP, and how can it help pitchers like Otani? Yeah, um, PRP is used pretty aggressively. Uh, I can remember, gosh, it's probably about a decade ago, Jim Andrews at his conference talking about it. And and I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, I have no idea how this stuff works. I have no idea whether this stuff works but I'm pretty uh, confident that it's not hurting anybody. So I'm doing it on everybody. fact is we still don't really know why it works uh, or even if it works, uh, which is tough, but we know it doesn't do any damage. So you might as well give it a shot. There are some positive results. What PRP is, is platelet rich plasma therapy. Basically what they do is they draw your blood just like they would for any test. Uh, They take that blood and put it in a centrifuge, spin it, and take the part. If you've ever donated plasma, you know, we all needed beer money in college. Uh, it's yep. pretty much <laughs> that exactly. Uh, they, 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 they do a little bit of magic, a little bit of chemistry. They can't put anything in there and they can't leave it out of the body for more than 23 hours. That's the legalities of it in America. Uh, but then they inject it back into the site. In this case, the elbow, see a lot of it in ACLs and ankles, uh, back injuries that's even being used by some people. And, and again, the theory is that uh, those platelets bring healing directly to the site. Uh, there's no good scientific studies out there that have proven that this works. But again, uh, we're pretty much going on results, and the results have been uh, at least not negative. Uh, so people continue to use it. The other arm injury that we haven't got an update from the White Sox recently is Nate Jones. Jones has a pronator muscle strain, and the team was hopeful that when he suffered the injury back on June 13th, that after being on the 10-day DL, he'll be good to go again. Well, it's June 29th, a week later from the 10-day DL expiration that the White Sox are hoping for, and we still don't have word on how Nate Jones is doing. The first question, Will, is what is a pronator muscle strain? Well, it's the muscle strain. This is an easy one for, for White Sox fans. Uh, if you take, uh, pretend, nice as anything, but pretend like you're holding a can of beer. Now pour that beer into the cold glass. What you've just done is pronate your arm, turning your thumb down. Uh, so that's the muscle you feel in your forearm that's doing this. Here's why the pronator is so important. Studies have indicated, now we haven't proven this yet. There's still a lot of theory work 
going on out there. But studies have indicated that the pronator muscle is actually uh, very important to protect the ulnar collateral ligament. Now, studies that have been done by Glenn Fleissig at ASMI down in Birmingham uh, have shown that the uh, ulnar collateral ligament itself breaks at, a, at really low levels, as low as 35 uh, newton meters of force. And that's exceptionally low. We regularly at MODIS measure forces in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s even. Uh, so yeah, if it's true that uh, the, the ligament alone would break at 30, well, pitchers should be snapping their arms with every pitch, and we know that's not the case. So something else is happening here, and the likely uh, solution is that the muscles and the biomechanics are protecting the arm, that all that force isn't going directly into it. So if you injure your pronator, if the pronator even gets fatigued and isn't able to keep up its end of the deal, the UCL starts taking on more, and that's where you get into situations like Dunning or Otani or even worse. So uh, you have to be very careful with the pronator muscle. Uh, you have to understand how a guy is working through it, and you have to make sure that it's healed back up because, again, muscles heal up with scar tissue, and scar tissue is never as strong as the original muscle. You can strengthen the muscle fibers around it, so you can get stronger after an injury, but you can't get that section of the muscle strong. And it certainly uh, is at its weakest point as it's healing just after it. So you have to make sure you don't overstress that muscle and cause another tear, uh, especially in the same spot. Should White Sox fans be concerned because Jones has already missed significant time in his career with Tommy John surgery. Yeah, you, you do have to worry because of his history. But again, great medical staff. Uh, they've kept a very close eye. I would love to see uh, them do uh, more. But it, it's one of those situations where uh, I think they have a really good handle on exactly what's going wrong. The problem with some of these pitchers is that what they do that makes them good it's also probably what makes him so injury prone. Uh, the fact that he's so deceptive, that he has kind of that, that snap at the end is putting stress on his elbow, but it's also making him deceptive uh, and puts the movement on his pitch. So how much can you change and keep him effective? That's always the, the difficult part for the pitching coaches. Uh, but I think, you know, if, if we're measuring the force in his arm, if we're ma uh, managing his workload, it could be done better uh, and if the White Sox want to do that, well, Rick Hahn has my number. <laughs> the White Sox, with Mike Rodolfo, one of their top prospects, advanced say he can't throw a baseball because at the beginning of the year, it sounded like he needed Tommy John to be able to throw a baseball without pain. Now it sounds like with enough rust for the year, he may not need Tommy John. And with how the White Sox handled Alec Hansen this year, giving him plenty of rust and rehab with his elbow strain or sprain or however they were describing it at the beginning of the year, do, do you think that this is going to become a, a, tr a new trend in treatment, Will, where five teams ago, teams were really quick to pull the trigger to have pitchers go get Tommy John? But now you have teams like the White Sox that are trying to avoid it at all costs. I don't think they're trying to avoid it at all costs. I think we understand the situation better. But it, it, it used to be, again, uh, that any time a, a surgeon would see uh, an MRI and you would see the elbow at, at 25 to 33 percent, it was, it was always in there. I know some had said, you know, at 25, uh, it depends on the pitcher, but uh, a one-quarter tear, you just go ahead and replace it. Others say, you know, anything over a third. You, you've just got to do it because it's going to break down. Now we're starting to see some teams get a little bit more actually conservative. 
uh, trying to avoid the surgery because they understand, hey, if I take six months uh, and you know get conservative with the rehab and try to get somebody back, then I just theoretically saved 10 to 12 months of what we're seeing from Tommy John rehab. I mean, just take a look at Zach Birdie, uh, a guy who still hasn't pitched after Tommy John surgery relatively early last season. Um, so what we're seeing is pretty much a value equation. It's better medical technology, a better understanding that we can get some of these guys back and seeing whether or not you can buy guys uh, and buy the team an extra year of pitching uh, if it's successful. Now, if it's not successful, you usually know fairly quickly. And you say, this isn't healing. This isn't going to work. We go to Tommy John. You lost six weeks. So you're basically trading uh, six weeks against six months, which usually works. The other thing to keep in mind is the White Sox have been doing this a long time. They're one of the teams that's best positioned to do this. You can go all the way back to, gosh, I think it was 83 or 84 when Rick Peterson was the pitching coach for the Birmingham Barons. Uh, that was two stadiums ago for Birmingham. Uh, but uh, Glenn Fleissig hmm. was there. The American Sports Medicine Institute was just starting up. And, and it was kind of the right people in the right place at the right time. Uh, no team has been doing this kind of work longer, so they understand it. Doesn't hurt to have uh, you know a team in Birmingham, which, uh, as you know, is something of a sports medicine mecca. Uh, and, and Chicago itself, again, great medical staff. I can't say enough good things about Herm Schneider and his staff. Uh, that that front office understands what a resource they have. Don Cooper uh, is a great pitching coach. It's been there forever. Uh, and, and most importantly, I think I don't think people realize how good uh, the, the the medical staff there in uh in chicago is a surgeon's top notch uh and i think uh that we're gonna see this be a real advantage for the team over the next decade just as it was for the last decade yeah it's hard to see sometimes when you see guys uh, birdie's one of the most exciting pitchers i've ever scouted uh and i, I was so excited to see the white Sox get him because i was like this is the organization that can probably keep him healthy and it didn't quite work out but i i think they're the, one of the teams that can keep him healthy once he gets back so i i think this is going to be an advantage for them going forward as it has been for the last decade now you're working with modus who has developed a sleeve and other products that pitchers can wear that tracks wear and tear on their elbow mm -hmm. Where are we with this technology, and are you seeing it being widely adopted, not just in major leagues, but across all levels of baseball? Uh, yeah, we are. We're seeing a lot of great results. There was just a, a recent article in uh, Sport Techie, which is a, an industry publication, uh, talking about how the Mariners are using it. Lorena Martin, their new sports performance director, ha has really taken a lead in using technology. And uh, if you watch Jim's packs, and uh, if, you, if you go back and look at that no-hitter, Nice sleeve, James. Uh, and if you don't think that's helping him, he's healthy, he's productive, he's been able to stay out there. They've been able to take a look at Felix Hernandez, a guy who was uh, as good as they come just a few years ago, but has been in decline due to both age and mileage. He's been able to, to adjust his workload. Uh, they've talked a little bit about what they're doing. Unfortunately, I can't give a lot of details on it, but they've been able to adjust how he's managing his between starts. So it's really exciting. It's more exciting to me to see high schools and colleges using it. Uh, teams like Tarleton State, uh, teams like Florida that went a long way in uh, the College World Series 
so, yeah, we're seeing wider adoption at all levels. Uh, the technology itself, look, it works. We know it works. Uh, we've proven it works and have the validation studies that show it. So now all we have to do is convince people to spend uh, 149 bucks and put it on their athlete, on their team. Uh, and we don't understand why everybody isn't doing it. Yeah, because how much does Tommy John surgery cost? Uh, the surgery itself really isn't that expensive. It's about $3,500 little bit more depending on, on where you do it, uh, depending on the hospital stay. Uh, but it's the rehab that's really difficult. I mean, it takes you know, six to nine months and you're probably looking somewhere between 35 and 50,000, uh, depending on where you are. Uh, you know, there's lower costs if you do it with the team, obviously. But uh, in most situations, you're doing it with one of those top guys, a Kevin Wilk, a Mike Reinold, uh, and that can get really, really costly. And again, takes you away from your career. I think one of the the top things we've ever seen is there's only one pitcher, one, uh, that, that has ever made the Hall of Fame after having Tommy John surgery. And when you think about all the pitchers who have had Tommy John surgery, you wonder why didn't they make it? Did taking that year out of their career cost them some of those counting stats that gets you into the Hall? The, the answer is clearly yes. Did it cost them years that could have been uh, on the back end of their career? Yeah, the answer is probably yes. Uh, the interesting thing to me is if you take a look at just the pitchers that are on track for the Hall of Fame, there aren't a lot of Tommy John guys. And when you think that 30% of all major league pitchers have had Tommy John, that's pretty astounding. It really is. For our Patreon subscribers, we did get a question in, Will. Danny Farquhar, recovering from an aneurysm. He wants to pitch again. It looks like from his Instagram that he's trying to pitch again. What are going to be the obstacles for Danny Farquhar to, one, be lucky that he's alive and be at the right place at the right time to suffer a devastating injury like that, uh, but now come back and be able to pitch in the major leagues? I think he's made it past the tough part, which is surviving. Uh, you know, again, the, the medical staff after he collapsed there in the dugout was just astounding how quickly not only they got to him, but recognized what was going on, uh, got to the hospital, was able to get the best care uh, that quickly, which uh, stopped as much damage as possible. Yet the fact that he was able to go out and throw a first pitch is pretty amazing. But another pitch, I think it's going to be the mental issues. Uh, you know, is he scared? to go back out there. Can he go out and do the work he needs to do? Second is what was the root cause of that? A lot of aneurysms we never know, uh, even with autopsies. It's just, hey, you know, there was a weak point in the blood vessel and it burst and the blood built up and the pressure, you know, killed you. Uh, so you can't go in there and look for another one. Uh, it's unfortunate that we just don't have that technology. Uh, but there's no reason to think that pitching is what did it to him. Uh, otherwise, it probably would have happened a long time ago. Uh, a lot of people pointed out that, that a lot of pitchers have had aneurysms, but this is a different sort of thing. You look at guys like David Cohn, who had an aneurysm in his shoulder. It's really more kind of tied in with, with thoracic outlet syndrome, and is it, it certainly isn't a brain aneurysm. So I think Farquhar has every chance to come back, uh, and that's largely because, again, Hermsteiner and his staff gave him that chance. He's Will Carroll. He's the injury expert. You can follow Will on Twitter. He's at injury expert. And for those that still play sports or you coach, or if you have kids that play sports, especially baseball, check out Modus. They got terrific products at modusglobal.com. Will, as always, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks a lot, Josh.
Blake Rutherford is having a successful campaign in 2018 for the Winston-Salem Dash, hitting 287 with a 322 on base percentage and slugging 450 with 16 doubles, four triples, and six home runs with 53 RBIs. Rutherford is slugging 102 points higher than what he was last year when he joined the White Sox farm system after the trade with the New York Yankees last July. What has changed for Rutherford now in his first full season under the White Sox farm system? Well, joining us now is the Winston-Salem Dash outfielder. It's Blake Rutherford. Yeah, congrats on the the first half division title. What does that mean Thank for you? Thank you very much. Oh, man, it's exciting. Uh, it's the first um, really uh, first half title I've been a part of. Um, obviously, I was um, traded and was able to play in the playoffs with Canapolis last year, but to be a part of uh, winning a, a whole half and being a part of a team that's uh, able to do that was a lot of fun, and um, I hope we can win the second half too. Yeah, you're off to a great start, and so is the team. You're already at 50 RBIs with a big increase in power. You're hitting 333 with a 607 slugging percentage when you got guys in run, in scoring position for you, Blake. What is your approach at the plate with runners in scoring position, and is that a situation you feel most comfortable hitting in? Um, yeah, I mean, I think this year it is, especially um, just because I'm kind of looking for a pitch I can drive and get those runners in. Um, I feel like it's a, it's an at-bat where I can try and get myself up and hit a deep fly ball to score a guy or hit a hard ground ball through the hole. And uh, even if I hit a hard ground ball to uh, an infielder, it'll score the run. So I think I'm just trying to focus less on trying to get a hit in those situations like the past years and just uh, trying to put a good swing on the ball and drive a ball to be able to uh, not only score one of the runners but try and score uh, multiple if, there, if um, there's more than uh, one runner on base. Yeah, because Chris Katz, the director of amateur scouting, he, he mentioned that you have some of the best exit velocity out of all the White Sox minor league hitters in any system. Is that something that you've been focusing on in just generating more exit velocity, or is this just coming naturally for you? Um, I think that um, I've always kind of been a strong uh, person, but I think that the thing that's helping this year is just getting a pitch to be able to swing and hit the ball hard. Um, I think in the past, and even sometimes this year, I swing at a the pitcher's pitch instead of my pitch and I kind of get out in front or I hit a lazy flat ball or lazy ground ball. And so this year I'm just trying to hone in on the pitches I can drive and the pitches I can hit hard. And uh, when I do get those pitches, I try not to miss them. Um, obviously all these pitchers we're facing are very good and very talented and they're, they're not going to make a, a ton of mistakes. So when I get a mistake, I try and make sure I don't miss it. And it's been a talented outfield this year at Winston-Salem. Booker and Call went to Birmingham and they replaced with Gonzalez and Robert. You're part of the Luis show. Right now, Blake uh, wins at Salem with the outfield. How is that playing time be divvied up, and how are they communicating with you guys on to make sure that you are getting your at bats and you're getting your time in the outfield? Um, I mean, they're they're all doing it really fair. I mean, we kind of have a rotation every once in a while, um, but I mean, we're all getting a ton of at bats, and uh, I think we all love playing with each other. Obviously, Basabe, Booker, Call went up. Um, I love playing with those guys. Those are all uh, three tremendous outfielders, and uh, I was able to play Luis with Luis Gonzalez last year. And, I mean, he's a great player too. So uh, we've already had a connection, and um, me and Luis Robert were we've gotten pretty close um, since he started up here in Winston, and. Uh, he wasn't playing at the beginning, but um, just being able to talk to him and um, kind of teach him English and him teach me Spanish, I'd say that me and him um, are pretty close for the, the for the bit for being, not being able to communicate a ton. But I mean, playing alongside that guy too, it's a lot of fun. Uh, a lot less running in the outfield because of how much ground he covers, which is you know not a bad thing for uh, for an outfielder. But now it's overall it's been a lot of fun, and um, I love playing alongside the outfield. And as far as the at bats, uh, I think we're all getting a fair amount of at bats and. Just trying to go up there and help the team win with the at-bats we have. Sounds like a budding buddy cop movie between you and Luis Robert. Absolutely. 
<laughs> That's absolutely. <laughs> how much how much Spanish have you learned from him? Um, I, I mean, I've tried to do my my part. I mean, I, I'm not the best at Spanish, but I'm trying, and uh, I'm trying to teach him English. But I mean, he always comes out to me, and uh, we're always talking in the outfield. We always, um, I don't know. I mean, we're always talking off the field uh, the best we can. So I mean, we just have a good connection, and um, I mean, it's a joy to play alongside him, and and, um, and alongside Luis Gonzalez, and. Um, hopefully we continue to grow up together and um, move along in this system together. So manager Omar Vizquel, he likes for you guys to run a lot, we have noticed, especially in the base paths with a lot of stolen base attempts. My first question regarding that is, have you ever considered yourself a base stealer? Um, I always thought I've had the ability, um, but I'd, I'd admit I'm not, I wasn't the best at base stealing. Um, I've always had speed, but as far as picking up on little things pitchers do and uh, getting the times, I was never the best at it. And really this year, Omar's uh, opened my eyes to being able to look at pitchers, look at the little things they do, uh, getting the good reads, and it's helped a lot. I mean, uh, I think I have eight or nine stolen bases this year, which is probably almost as many as I've had. Um, and, I mean, I hope to continue to steal more bases. But, I mean, I love how aggressive he is. Um, sometimes we get ourselves in a situation because we run so much. But, I um, mean, we're just trying to put all the pressure on the defense and uh, trying to get them to make mistakes. See, we've always been – told when we have scouts on this show and other prospect writers that speed peaks at 18 years old. Do you feel like base stealing is Mm -hmm. a skill that you can get better at? Absolutely. I mean, I think base stealing is something that you can always evolve at, uh, whether it's getting good reads off the pitcher, uh, getting a good time, trying to pick pick up little things he does when he goes home versus when he picks off. Um, I think that as you grow and as your baseball IQ grows, um, and just by watching the game, you can become a better base field. And there's a lot of guys who aren't fat, aren't the fastest, but they're great base runners just because of the stuff they pick up on and the jumps they're able to get. Um, and sometimes those guys steal more bases than the fastest guys just because of um, their ability to watch the game and make adjustments on the fly. Now, we did get a few fan questions. One of the questions was, which outfield position do you feel most comfortable playing in? Um, I mean, that's a tough one just because I, I always played center field. Um, and then when I got traded here, I played a lot of left field. Um, and now I'm playing a lot of right field. So um, I would say at start, it was probably center field. Um, but now, honestly, I, I anywhere in the outfield, I honestly feel very comfortable. And uh, I never really feel in an uncomfortable situation at any of the outfield situ- uh, positions just because I've played, a, I think I've played a lot of games at each one of them. And that was another question when you got traded. Obviously, this is your first full year now with the White Sox organization after being traded in July. Uh, how has this year been for you as far as adjusting to the ball club? Do you feel comfortable now being in the White Sox system? Um, I feel extremely uh, comfortable. They did a great job of uh, just acclimating me to everything and making me feel um, as part of the team, like make me feel as if I was drafted by this organization, uh, Chris Getz, Sis. Um, all the coordinators, all the coaches, all the players, uh, they have really opened me. They really uh, welcomed me with open arms and just tried to do anything uh, to make me feel comfortable and allow me to just go out there and worry about playing baseball and not any of the extra uh, stuff that comes with being traded. And what are you hoping to get better at in the second half? Because like I said, you're already off to a great start. The team is off to a great start. Is there something that you're trying to focus on right now, Blake, to be better in the second half? Um, yeah, I'm just trying to uh, focus on, honestly, just continuing to get my pitch and uh, uh, not really get uh, hit the pitcher's pitch. I think um, I've done a good job with this this year, but sometimes uh, I get a little complacent instead of continuing to be uh, patient and trying to get my pitch. So I'm really just trying to, going to continue to look for my pitch and um, not let the pitcher get me out, but instead um, just, I mean, try and get a pitch I can drive. And as far as defense, um, 
I just want to continue to make good reads, continue to develop my arm strength. Um, but I think defense has been one of my improved things this year. Uh, just been able to go get balls and throw runners out and show my arm strength. Um, so those are the two things. And obviously uh, on the base pass, like you said, continuing to um, advance bases and try and get into scoring position for the guys who hit behind me, like Mike Adolfo and Gavin Sheets and all these guys who can really hit behind me and try and get into a situation where they can score me with a base hit. All right. So we have three fan questions. John's asking in today's world, how in the world do you ignore social media and just focus on what you're doing on the field? Yeah. I mean, that, that's a good question. It's hard. Um, but I mean, I honestly don't really pay much attention to social media. Um, I think all the baseball writers are great writers. They all have their job to do. Um, but as far as me, I try not to pay attention to it just because you can get really caught up in it if you look at it too much. Um, so I really just try and focus on what's happening with me and what's happening with my team and what's happening in our season. Um, and not really listen to what all the stuff is about on social media. And uh, I know there's positive stuff. I know there's negative stuff and everyone's entitled to their own opinion, but I just try and focus on what I can, can, can what I can control. And that's uh, the baseball game and how I um, play and how I put forth my effort. Who is the funniest guy on the Winston Salem dash? Oh man, that's tough. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm going to go with guys just from the first half team. Cause obviously we've had some new guys, but, um, I thought Booker was pretty funny. He has a good personality. He's always dancing, always having fun. Uh, he's really helped me this year to keep it loose and keep keep positive. So um, I'll probably have to go with Booker um, just because, I mean, I, I don't know. He's just always having fun. It seems like I'm always keeping it loose in the dugout and on the field. And I think the best question that we got from our fans, where do you like to go out to eat in Winston-Salem, and what are your favorite places to eat at when you're on the road? Oh, um, I'm actually a huge fan of uh, Brick's Pizza in Winston-Salem. Uh, I personally think they have the best wings. They're kind of grilled wings. Oh, nice. Um, and you can ask my roommate, she- Gavin Sheets, or uh, for- Tyquan Forbes, or Mitch Rome, and I eat that almost every single night religiously. Uh, I don't know why, but there's just something about those wings and about the pizza. I, just, I-, I could eat it every day. I love it so much. Um, as far as on the road, uh, I'm, a- I'm a big Panera Bread fan. Obviously, not every town has Panera Bread. Um, but I'd say consistently probably PB and J's. I mean, it's something that every ballpark has and, um, it's something that'll fill you up. So, I mean, I, I love PB and J's and, um, I, I think I'll continue to eat those as I grow older. Well, I got to tell you, man, you're in a good organization. If you love pizza and wings, cause Chicago's no, got I, plenty of choices. I love, I love pizza and wings. <laughs> well, Blake, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. Good luck tonight and the rest of the second half. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Welcome to the Meyer League Report, where we start with some unfortunate news. Eloy Jimenez departed Sunday's game with an apparent leg injury after flying out in his second at bat. The MILB TV broadcast isn't yet available, but check SoxMachine.com for footage later. Also, the Winston-Salem Dash placed Luis Robert on the seven-day DL with a thumb injury. James Feagan of The Athletic reported that Robert jammed it while making a catch against the wall. The severity is not yet known. Now let's go to Charlotte, where Michael Kopech ended June with two quality starts after struggling with his control during his first four of the month. He walked four over six innings during his last timeout on Saturday, which he blamed on a sweating issue that he eventually gained control of. He finished his start by retiring the last seven batters he faced. He's faring better than Carson Fulmer, who crashed back down to earth after an 11 strikeout start two weeks ago. He lasted just one and two-thirds innings on Sunday, giving up a grand slam after issuing three walks earlier in the second inning. He threw just 26 of his 53 pitches for strikes. Without Jimenez, the team becomes a lot less compelling, especially since Sebi Zavala hasn't been nearly as successful against AAA pitching. 
He's off to a slow start, hitting 147 with two doubles over his first nine games. On the plus side, Ian Hamilton still has a spotless ERA after his first four appearances in Charlotte. In Birmingham, Dylan Cease bounced back from a rocky double-A debut with seven innings of one-run ball on Sunday. Bernardo Flores is two for two as he pitched seven shutout innings against Jackson the day before. He's now thrown at least seven innings in five consecutive starts. Joel Booker has cooled off after a fiery start, and Luis Basave and Alex Cull have been unremarkable so far, but nobody looks out of place at the level. Winston-Salem spent most of last week beating up on the Frederick Keys, scoring 45 runs over a five-game series. Gavin Sheets has been in the middle of it. He wrapped up the week by extending his hitting streak to 15 games. He's raised his average to 287, and he's hiked his slugging percentage over 400, which is good to see considering he's a first baseman. Luis Gonzalez has also played a big part in the proceedings, as he's hitting 405 with a four-digit OPS over his first nine games at Winston-Salem. Lincoln Hensman hasn't had nearly as smooth an adjustment, although maybe the role is to blame. He's only pitched out of the bullpen so far with the dash, giving up eight hits over three innings scattered over three appearances. The Sox are trying to give him a breather, as a successful first half already allowed him to set a career high in innings. He spent his Louisville career in the bullpen and topped out at 65 innings last year. Kannapolis is dealing with the loss of star power right now as it waits for potential additions from the draft. One positive development? Luis Curbelo, who has committed just one error in seven games at shortstop after committing 10 of them in 20 games at third base. He's also holding his own at the plate, hitting 278 with a 322 OBP and 407 slugging. One negative development? Evan Skaug's numbers took a big step back in June as he hit just 189 with a 226 slugging percentage. Worse yet, he drew just two walks to 18 strikeouts over 56 plate appearances. The Kannapolis roster has carried three catchers this year, but none of them are hitting well. In Great Falls, Corey Zangari is back in action. The White Sox sixth-round pick in the 2015 draft missed all of last season after recovering from Tommy John surgery, but he finally resurfaced this week, playing in three games and hitting his first homer of the year. The AZL White Sox are 8-3 through their first 11 games thanks to a fairly well-rounded effort. They have the second-worst OPS in the league, but they have a league-best 2.85 ERA. Having somebody like Hunter Keel helps. The LSU product with a massive arm and a history of massive control problems has so far been too good for the level, striking out 10 batters while allowing just one hit and three walks over four and one-thirds innings. And in the Dominican Summer League, the DSL White Sox are 3-22. That's it for the Meyer League Report. Now we'll answer your questions in P.O. Sox. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, the fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Sox where you submitted your questions to us via Twitter by tweeting them to us at Sox Machine, posting your questions on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Sox Machine, and helping to support the show by becoming a friend of the podcast, signing up at patreon.com slash Sox Machine. And rejoining me on the podcast is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis to answer your questions. And Jim, the first question we have comes from Beefloaf from the famous Section 108 crew. And Beefloaf is asking, do you believe that Rick Renteria has the technical chops to manage well between 7 p.m. and 10 p.m. when it is time to? I think he's good enough. I think over the years when it's come to managing and, and decision-making, I've seen bad 
technical managers or, you know, bad, I guess, game strategists be good managers and vice versa. You know, guys who have a good idea of leverage and, um, you know, offensive value and such just kind of fizzle because they don't connect with players. So I think, you know, when you have a guy like, um, you know, Dusty Baker, I think he's, you know, my opinion on him swung fairly widely from being somebody who kind of, uh, you know, led pitchers. Uh, into a wood chipper and then somebody you know in his Washington days I think was really underappreciated for his ability to um, you know lead and, and be somebody who uh, his, his personality um, kind of defines the team and same with Ron Washington when he was in Texas uh, taking teams to the World Series Joe Madden last year did not manage that well in the playoffs but you know the, in I should say in 20 uh, 2016 but they got it done and you know he's somebody who is kind of controversial and doesn't always have i guess proper ideas of where players should be and such but it really doesn't matter so i think when it comes to 7 to 10 p.m uh i think rentria right now is i guess doing a good enough job of playing guys who deserve to play and not getting too wrapped up with relievers and roles like he seems fairly open-minded with how to switch guys in and out um you know whether it's riding the hot hand or um, going away from somebody who isn't working. Uh, we've seen a lot of flexibility in that regard with him. So I like that. I like that he's not doghousing players who you know might have been in a doghouse with other managers. Uh, he tends to limit it to a game or say his piece to the media, but otherwise, you know, not... Um, yeah, he has a long leash with guys who are still learning how to be major league players. So I think so far he's more or less doing... Um, you know, I think what can be expected from him for a guy in his position and a guy who's still relatively young to managing, uh, even though he's been around uh, yeah, for a long time in the game as a manager, as a major league manager, this is only his third season. So um, I wouldn't I wouldn't say he's a good manager or a bad manager. I think he's like in the line of most managers. And as we've seen with teams, whether it's like, say, Ned Yost, um, guys who don't look like much all of a sudden can figure it out. So um, I, I would give them kind of that middle ground. Thanks, Beeflo, for your question. Our next question comes from Alec Gaspar. And Alex is asking, Ben Lindenberg wrote a piece for the Rainer about how currently the 2018 free agency class isn't looking like the stack group it was expected to be. At this point, with the unsure possibility that the White Sox will even spend does it look wise to do so after the 2018 season? Well, I think with some guys, like say Josh Donaldson, he's been banged up, um, you know, a couple different injuries, shoulder and calf, I think. And when he's played, he hasn't played that well. And he's 33, I think. He's the kind of guy who you don't, you know, assuming that, you know, if the health issues are here to stay, or at least, you know, part of the aging process, then he doesn't look like somebody who would help the Sox really in, a measurable way, but I was watching Shinsu Chu play uh, this weekend. He signed a big deal with the Rangers, seven years, 130 million. It's the kind of deal that would be easily a club record for the White Sox. And you know, by and large, he hasn't been worth it. He's having a great season this year, though. And you know, just kind of thinking about it and thinking about how guys age. And he was 31 when he signed the deal. He's 30. He turns 36 in uh, in a couple weeks. Um, you know, his he has a carry. He has a uh, a calling card and that his plate discipline has always been among the league's best. And I think when it comes to free agents and the White Sox spending, you know, perhaps this off season when it doesn't look like it's going to be an immediate 
franchise changer, or it's not going to change the fortunes of a season. I think if they're going to invest, I think it would have to be in somebody who has skills that the Sox are short on and could be around for a long time, regardless of other things that happen. Like say Manny Machado, you know, he's, he's actually one of those players who's you know not disappointing this year. I think, you know, that article talked about Bryce Harper and Donaldson and Clayton Kershaw and uh, some of the opt-out guys like Jason Hayward and such. Um, you know, Machado is not one of those guys. He's having a very good season. Um, but like, say, like, say if you were having an iffy season, you know, his defense at third base and his power at third base, something the White Sox don't have lined up for that. That seems like the kind of investment that would last a while. Uh, whereas like, say Josh Donaldson trying to get a good year out of him immediately and not really counting on what he's going to look like three years from now. That's what I think is, uh, gets you in trouble. So I think as the White Sox start to consider spending, when it comes to that franchise record kind of contract, I think it has to be somebody with an elite skill that the White Sox really don't have in abundant supply, whether it's defense, whether it's plate discipline, um, you know, whether it's strikeouts, you know, whatever it is. Um, I think that's the kind of uh, talent or, or, or skill that I think will allow the White Sox to get the most uh, bang for their buck. Going back to the survey, at this moment, do you think the White Sox will be heavy spenders in this upcoming free agency class? Out of 600 responses, 78.2% said no. They are not expecting the White Sox to be heavy spenders in this upcoming free agency class. Does that response surprise you, Jim? I don't think so because the White Sox don't have the benefit of the doubt, and I, there are enough legitimate reasons to doubt that they would. So I think that's fair. I would it like I I would fall in the same line if I had to say you know one or the other I would say no, just because I think they're proving the season, especially say you know depending on the timelines for Jimenez and Kopech, that they aren't, um, you know the team is not all here yet or at least you know all the top tier talent is not yet on either the uh, the major league team or on a clear major league timeline, so. I would say that next the year after would be the spending period, but given Jerry, sorry, given the uh, White Sox, I guess historical reluctance to spend too long in a rebuild, I can see the White Sox being impatient, or um, you know, I guess one person's impatience would be the other's aggression, and you know, actually spend to try to accelerate the process. Now, this would be impatience. Like my fear is that Jerry Reinsdorf is going to wake up one day, Jim, and say, "I'm tired of the losing." We're not getting enough fans in the seats. We're not selling enough tickets. We're not selling enough concessions. We need more fans in the seats. How do we do that? I would say, you know, um, Josh Donaldson would be impatience. Manny Machado would be aggression. I just don't think there's a chance in hell. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't, I, don't, I don't think so either. But I think that would be the kind of how I would define it. You know, between, between the two, I think, you know, trying to plug holes with eight figure salaries that don't really stand a good chance of aging. Well, yeah, that would be making the same mistake they went and they made before. But if they actually invest in elite talent, uh, that still has age on its side, then that's a different matter. Interesting. Yeah. I, again, it would make a lot of sense for the white Sox to sign Manny Machado. I just don't have confidence. The white Sox will, and even breaking my heart further, Nolan Arenado spoke with Bob Nightingale, and there's a USA today story and asking, what is Nolan Arenado looking for when he becomes a free agent? And he said, I'm sick and tired of losing. Money is not going to be the biggest factor. Winning is going to be the biggest factor. No pressure, 2019 White Sox. 
Keep my pipe dream alive. Uh, be a winning ball club. Convince Nolan Arenado to come to the South Side. Yeah, it, it's even if they have a good year, and you know, based on, I guess that, um, you know, I guess that stance and whether that's you know um, emotions talking or the way he's going to go, like you know, say if you know team ponies up, you know, might not be able to resist that. But given the way the Rockies have teased before, with even you know being a good team on paper or being projectable. Or yeah, um, you know, having what looks like upward mobility, and then just kind of getting kneecapped by uh, the Rockies' own bad game plan. You know, even a White Sox team that wins seventy-seven games and look like the arrows pointing up might not be enough. It won't be. No. So that that is this is where for those that say winning doesn't matter, win-loss record doesn't matter. This is where it does matter. Because it's pretty clear that these great players that are in free agency are leaving really bad situations or leaving frustrating situations where they do want to win a championship. And they're going to go sign with the team. And they're still going to get paid. And they're going to be playing for a team that's going to win a championship. And that's another part of this rebuild for the White Sox that... This is where it's going to be tough for Rick Hahn because he's going to have to compete against the Dodgers, the Giants, the Yankees, and the Red Sox, and the Astros for these guys. And they got better sales pitches. They got much better sales pitches. That's why I'm kind of rooting for the Braves and Phillies this year. Just as teams that were kind of tired of rebuilding, felt like they could add, and I'd like to see them get rewarded for adding and perhaps change the idea of waiting until the time is absolutely right, or at least, you know, all the prospects have ascended before doing so. So kind of fans of them this year. So Jim wants an Atlanta Braves Seattle Mariners World Series. It's kind of fun to see aggressive front offices, and I think there have been too few of them. Our next question comes from William, and William is asking, do you let Yohan Mikata play through the troubles even if it puts him at risk? of the major league record for strikeouts. I think so. Cause I don't think the strikeouts record really has a stigma. Um, Adam Dunn, when he nearly said it during his historical worst season, you know, that might've done it just because people would have said like, Oh, that was, you know, the worst season anybody's ever had in baseball history as a position player, you know, who got as much playing time as he did, but Mark Reynolds holds it. And Mark Reynolds is just known for striking out a lot. He wasn't known as a bad player or a good player. Just it kind of, guy who was there and, and striking out was part of his deal and big homers were part of his deal. And, uh, you, you took one and you took the other. So I think, uh, should Moncada be a productive player and somebody who's, um, you know, kind of looked like he did in April and May where he's hitting the ball hard and he's striking out and you get some good games, you get some bad games. Then yeah, I think he plays all the way through to get the development time. However, you know, like say if he's approaching the record and he's not looking great and he's banged up and such. I think the White Sox might avoid it, you know, like they did with Dunn. But uh, in this case, you know, should he just be somebody who needs, is playing well enough to, you know, keep playing him and there's no reason to, you know, deprive him of reps, then, yeah, I think he could set it and nobody really care that much if he's productive otherwise. Thank you guys so much for your questions this week as that will conclude this edition of P.O. Sox. If you have a question or topic you'd like us to tackle on a future episode of the Sox Machine podcast, again, follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine and also like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Sox Machine. 
You can also help support the show by becoming a friend of the podcast by going to patreon.com slash socks machine and you get an opportunity to get additional content every single week. You also get an opportunity to pose questions like we did with Blake Rutherford. So if you would like that opportunity and also get more content from us, go to patreon.com slash socks machine and sign up today to become a friend of the podcast to help support our work, not only on the show, but also on SoxMachine.com. And that will do it for this edition of the Socks Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you just discovered the show, you can subscribe in a couple of ways. One is through iTunes by going to the iTunes store and search Socks Machine. You can also follow us on Spotify. Just go to Spotify, search Socks Machine, and click follow And you'll get new episodes that way. And for those that have Android smartphones, I'm asking you to download the new Google Podcast app because you can use Google Assistant to pull up the Socks Machine Podcast. So once you download Google Podcast, bring up Google Assistant, say, hey, Google, play Socks Machine Podcast, and it's going to bring it up on your phone. So if you love using that voice, Assistant's, You can download the Google Podcast out of the Google Play Store, and you can use Google Assistant to now bring up the Socks Machine Podcast via voice. How awesome is that? Technology in 2018, baby. And that will do it for this edition of Socks Machine Podcast. It's a production of SocksMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible XFi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.